Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio. Selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... As easy as pie? Sure. All you have to do is enter your license plate or VIN. As easy as a stroll in the park. Okay. Then just answer a few questions and you'll get a real offer in seconds. As easy as singing. Why not? Schedule a pickup or drop-off and Carvana will pay you that amount right on the spot. As easy as playing guitar. Actually, I find that kind of difficult. But selling your car to Carvana is as easy as... Can be. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to get an instant offer today. A talented and successful woman is sucked into the murky world of hypnotism and reckless psychiatry, leading to a shocking double life. I'm Peter Laws, and tonight on Our Curious Past, we ask, was fashion model and author Candy Jones really a victim of CIA mind control? Her remarkable story might just spin your head. They got married on New Year's Eve, the final day of 1972. The wedding took place in a lavish and stunning apartment suite in New York. The groom's name was Long John Nabel, a 61-year-old radio presenter whose long-running New York radio show specialized in discussing the paranormal. And the bride's name was Candy Jones. She was much younger at only 47 years old, but she'd already led a very full life. She was a wildly successful fashion model, author, and businesswoman. The guests at the wedding raised their glasses to this new year and new marriage, but it could be understandable if some of them looked on this new union with a sense of cynicism. You see, Nabel had only met Candy 28 days earlier, at the start of December, so neither of them knew each other particularly well. In fact, in a 1976 interview with the NBC network, Candy admitted that they hadn't even held hands yet, let alone kissed. Despite this, they both pressed ahead with this lightning speed marriage. And all seemed well that day, at least for a while. But then Nabel started to notice something at the reception that made him pause, something about his new wife. So far at the wedding, she had been her normal, friendly, and exuberant self, but then, within the space of a few minutes, she seemed to lose her sense of fun and charm. And even stranger, she started to change her posture. Ever since he'd known her that month, she had been relaxed and fluid in her movements, but now she grew stiff and awkward. 
And then she opened her mouth to speak, and the voice that came out seemed lower, somehow different. He watched this with a sense of concern, but then soon after she slipped back into her normal self, and he shook it off, and they headed off to a special wedding meal that night at the Ho-Ho Chinese restaurant in New York. Candy was her usual self, until... At some point during the meal, Nabel noticed it again, the stiffening of the shoulders, the clipped and cold return of that voice. And she also, this time, seemed to look at the Chinese writing on the walls and the oriental decor of the restaurant, and she seemed, well, frightened of it. This was getting stranger, but he left it again, especially because old Candy returned. But it was that night, as they were preparing to get into bed, that Candy spoke again, and again it was with that other tone, not her own. And when she spoke, he noticed that not only was there the change in posture and voice, but also a shift in her personality. The normally friendly and relaxed Candy now spoke to him with cruelty, almost mocking him. This had happened three times now, in one day. He had to say something. And so he asked her, Candy, what's going on? You, you keep changing. You, you're different. Are you okay? Candy just looked at him, baffled. She had no idea what he was talking about. She hadn't noticed any change in herself the whole day or evening. It had been a happy occasion, their wedding day, hadn't it? Confused, the newlyweds slipped into bed. This was their first night as husband and wife. A few weeks passed, when Candy suddenly mentioned something to Nabel, something about her life that was completely unexpected. She told her new husband that she had been working for the FBI, and that she had done so for many, many years. He pressed her on this for details, but all she would say was there may be some occasions where she'd have to go out of town. And Nabel was left with this perplexing and unsettling mystery about his wife. Did she really work for the FBI? And if so, did it have anything to do with her strange changes of mood and personality? And the changes continued. At one point, she was sociable, witty, and charming, the woman he had fallen in love with. And then the next, she just snapped into this cruel, vicious stranger and on one night this personality change grew even more shocking she lunged at Nabel at one point and tried to strangle him using he noticed a military style technique to do it he managed to wriggle out of her grip and she calmed down again and she said she had no memory of attacking him he was amazingly patient with her but the patience was wearing thin particularly when she really did start to leave town on what she called U.S. government business. Nabel did not believe this. He thought she was clearly having an affair, and so he decided that the only way to get to the truth was to use hypnosis. He'd been an amateur hypnotist for many years, and he thought he might try it out. Perhaps he could discover the truth behind these secret trips his new wife was taking. And yet... When he tried hypnosis on her, he was shocked at what he heard. You see, while she lay there in a hypnotic trance, it became clear 
there was no other man. There was no affair. But what was there was much more complex and disturbing. His new wife, Candy Jones, was leading a frightening and disturbing secret life. Candy Jones was born in Atlantic City, New Jersey, in 1925, though that was not her birth name. She came into the world as Jessica Wilcox, and life was awful for Candy growing up. Not financially, she was actually born into a wealthy family, but the family was cruel and dysfunctional. In 1928, when she was only three years old, her car salesman father deserted them. So her mother took little Candy to live with her grandmother in a place called Wilkes Bar in Pennsylvania. Candy's mother was bipolar, and when she went through her dark episodes, she would lock Candy away in rooms without light, and she would beat Candy so badly that she'd have to wear thick stockings just to cover the wounds. And her father was no better. On one occasion, her dad visited his wife and daughter, now estranged, but in a fit of rage, he took Candy's fingers and placed them into a nutmeg grater, turning it so she would feel the painful crash. Candy had no real friends to turn to. Her mother refused to allow her to bring anyone home from school. And so Candy would sit there in the dark, lonely room whenever her mother locked her in and she would have to try and visualize friends instead. And she said she would see them appear in a large mirror that hung on the wall. And there were a few imaginary friends, but the most significant was ironically a lot like her mother, a domineering and sarcastic girl called Arlene. In 1936, Candy's grandmother died and she and her mother headed back to Atlantic City where she carried on her miserable sheltered life with this overbearing and unpredictable mother. But the older she got, the more and more noticeable it became. Candy was growing into a remarkably beautiful young woman. She had long blonde hair and an attractive face and she instantly got attention due to her height. She was about six foot four. And not long after she graduated from high school, in June 1941, she entered a beauty contest. And she won the coveted title of Miss Atlantic City. Her prize was a trip to New York City with the John Powers Model Agency. She then embarked on a career as a fashion model. When she signed the contract, she changed her name from Jessica Wilcox to that far more starry-sounding Candy Jones. And she was a raging success. Throughout the 1940s and into the 50s, she became a famous and sought-after model. She became one of the most popular pinup girls of that era. To give you a sense of Candy's success, she won Model of the Year in 1943, and she was the first model to ever earn $35 an hour. And during one month of that year, her face was on the cover of no less than 11 major national magazines. And if those magazines had sat on the shelves of bookstores, they may have been only a few feet away from a new book that was released by a man called G. H. Estabrooks. The book was called Hypnotism. It was a non-fiction tome that urged the U.S. government to use hypnotic suggestion to program unknowing agents. But right now, Candy Jones was a star and seemed a world away from government covert operations. And yet, 
Like many stars of the time, she was brought in during World War II to inspire and entertain the troops, and she went on a tour of military bases as part of the Cover Girls Abroad campaign. Photographs of Candy in a white polka dot bathing suit could be found pinned to the metal walls of tanks and ships all throughout the fleet. It was while she was appearing for soldiers in the Philippines that she caught malaria and a fever, and she went to a specialist hospital. She was seriously ill. It was around August of 1945. And that's where she met a man called Dr. Gilbert Jensen, who told her that he was a young medical officer. He gave her vitamin injections that quite possibly saved her life. And he left his card and said that he hoped that she might write to him one day. Revived from her experience with malaria, she was able to go home and then the war was over. And after the war, Candy got married to a man called Harry Conover, who was a fellow model and also a successful leader in the fashion world. They were wed in 1946. And Candy may well have had three sons with Harry, but she was still passionate about her career. She opened her own modeling agency with an office in New York, which later became the Candy Jones Career Girls School. This would run for another 20 years with graduates including Julie Mead and the famous Sandra Dee. But back in the 1940s, she had kept modeling herself alongside her business, and she even published over a dozen books about fashion as well as books on her time entertaining the troops of World War II. She was an incredibly industrious and hardworking woman. Yet there was a clear problem in the marriage, a sense of distance that perhaps Candy didn't understand at first, but she eventually discovered why. Harry Conover, her husband, was actually gay, or at least bisexual. To us today, it might sound odd and pointless to hear a gay man marrying a straight woman, but back then, it was not easy to come out as gay, and some were even advised to marry women as a way of helping them turn straight. Who knows what caused Harry to wed Candy, but unsurprisingly, it did not work out. They divorced in 1959, and Harry left her and pretty much vanished, leaving her with serious debt. The 1960s arrived, and Candy took up a job working for NBC Radio. She was a talented presenter, interviewing many significant figures in the world of politics, the military, and entertainment. And the salary for this job helped pay her debts, but also to put her kids through expensive boarding school. She was getting no help from Harry. It was while she was working at NBC that an old acquaintance from the war came round to visit. It was an army general, now retired. He chatted to Candy about old times and caught up, but then he just casually dropped something into the conversation. He said, The FBI were looking for a location to make mail drops. The general smiled at her and said, What about here, Candy? Could the FBI use your place? Candy's response should give you a sense of her duty to the US and its government. She immediately said, Yes, of course. She was a patriot and she was ready to play her part. She even agreed to deliver this mail for the FBI whenever she was traveling on business for work. And so Candy went about her job with NBC with nobody knowing that she was receiving and distributing secret documents for the government. It wasn't long after that she was tasked with delivering an FBI letter to a man in San Francisco, a doctor. 
And when she went to San Francisco, she met him to hand the letter over in person and stopped for a moment because he looked very familiar. And then she realized it. This was the same Dr. Gilbert Jensen who had helped her recover from malaria back in 1945 in the Philippines. She was still grateful for all that he'd done for her, so she agreed to have dinner with him that night in San Francisco. The date was the 16th of November, 1960. Over dinner, Jensen told her about his work, and it was quite astonishing work at that. He said he was working for the CIA and he had an office right across the Bay Bridge. And since she was so open to work as a mailwoman for the FBI, he wondered, would she like to come and find out more about his business, working in covert intelligence? He saw Candy as a potential asset. Not only was she a beautiful celebrity with influence, she was also single and traveled often for her work. And also, she was paying off the debts of her ex-husband and trying to put those three children through school. So she needed the money, and working for him, he told her, would be lucrative. She agreed. And soon after, she met him in a more private location. And the first thing Jensen did was to ask her if she wouldn't mind being hypnotized. She agreed. Do you want to save money on food this year? Well, I've got the ultimate hack to do it. It's called EveryPlate, America's best value meal kit. Meals from EveryPlate are 25% cheaper than grocery shopping, and you only pay for what you need with pre-portioned ingredients. That's important to me because I hate it when I do a normal grocery shop and overestimate what I need. I end up seeing perfectly good food going stale and unused. That's not a way to live. But with EveryPlate, you don't get waste. Just great food at great value week after week. The recipes are really tasty too, with the highest quality ingredients, including sustainably sourced seafood, so you can be confident that your meals are fresh and packed with flavor. You can customize the recipes and mix things up with 25 delicious and healthy recipes to choose from each week. That's quite a menu. And you might think a service like this would be pricey, but it's 58% cheaper than your average fast casual meal. Get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code curious149. That's right. Get started with every plate for just $1.49 per meal by going to everyplate.com slash podcast and entering code curious149. That's up to $110 in value. Pretty good, eh? And as she lay there, under his spell, Jensen began to regress her into the past, and he started to dig more into her childhood. And it was there that he learned about her imaginary friend when she was young, Arlene. And when he discovered the character of Arlene, who was a tough, cold, and even cruel imaginary friend from those days, he started to think those characteristics might be excellent to draw upon for spy work. And so during this hypnotism session and others after, he started to do something completely unethical. He began to encourage Arlene, the childhood friend, to start coming forward into the present. He was asking this imaginary persona to live as a current personality in Candy's mind. And as wild as this sounds, he was successful. He started to see how Arlene could take over Candy's mind completely. And this began a bizarre and psychologically dangerous escapade 
where Candy started being sent out on assignments both in the US and overseas. But he programmed Candy to be able to switch her personality to Arlene whenever it was needed. She would even change her physical appearance too when channeling Arlene. She'd wear her makeup in different styles, for example, and she would wear a wig. And his goal was to send Arlene with her distinctive voice and manner to deliver messages. But crucially, if she was ever caught, he knew she would never reveal information about her sources, even under torture. They tested her in Taiwan with this. She was tortured with electric prods to see if she would crumble under interrogation, but whenever she was Arlene, she would keep her resolve. The literature about this case even claims that at one point, Jensen wanted to demonstrate the total control under which Candy was held, and he did it in the most horrific fashion. He lit a candle, and he placed it inside Candy's open vagina. This was demonstrated, it was said, in front of 24 doctors at the CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia. And throughout the whole ordeal, she didn't even register any sense of pain. There's actually a depressing list of sexualized tortures that she claims she was put through during those years, all in the name of testing her as an asset. They even offered her in-depth training in combat and covert action, explosives and disguises. And so she would travel from military base to training camps to secret medical facilities, but in the mode of Arlene, a kind of robot, a drone. And if she was to encounter resistance, she was trained to kill people with her bare hands, like strangulation, for example. It was even claimed that she was so mentally conditioned via this hypnosis that she would commit suicide on command. Conspiracy theorists have argued that Candy is just one of many government agents forced to do unthinkable acts via mind control and hypnotism, like Lee Harvey Oswald, John Hinckley, Mark Chapman, and Sirhan Sirhan. Critics would argue this is pure conspiracy and nothing more. It's said that Candy Jones was a shining example of the CIA's covert hypnosis program, not least because she would, in normal life, simply slip back into Candy Jones mode, and nobody would have any idea of her secret life, not even her, until this personality Arlene started to slip through the cracks of her psyche, and that was when her new husband started to hypnotize her. Now, how do we know all of these shocking details outlined above? Well, we learn them from the hundreds of audio cassette tapes where Candy was speaking to Nabel during his amateur hypnotism sessions. Indeed, Candy would listen back to these tapes and she would be dumbfounded by what she heard coming out of her own mouth. The tapes were used as the basis of a 1976 book by a man called Donald Bain and the book was called The Control of Candy Jones. But was it actually true? Or was this more like the subconscious ravings of a woman with schizophrenia, perhaps? That's what some people believed when the book came out in 76. And the story wasn't taken particularly seriously. And the CIA, perhaps not surprisingly, officially denied that Candy Jones or her alternate personality, Arlene, had ever been involved in any CIA work at all. 
but evidence came about that did seem to support her story. In the early 1970s, when Candy was talking about these experiences, the idea of the CIA being involved in mind control was not widely known, or perhaps it was mentioned in stories of science fiction. Yet, in 1975, it emerged that there really was compelling evidence that the CIA had conducted experiments in mind control as part of an infamous program called MKUltra, which began in the 1950s. How did Candy know before everybody else, unless she experienced it? Also, when the book was first released, this mysterious Dr. Jensen could easily have come across as a shadowy, fictional character that Candy made up in her head. Only it turns out that researchers found mounting evidence that Jensen may really have existed, and that he was indeed engaged in the type of covert operations that Candy was talking about under hypnosis. Donald Bain also looked into Candy's work life and explored her attendance at the office during the 1960s. Her business manager at the time admitted that, yes, over a period of about 10 years, she was frequently absent from work, apparently on a business trip, but actually there was no real business on those trips to speak of. She was, he said, doing something else. This matches her claims of working for the CIA from 1960 to 1971. This was enough to make Nabel furious with Jensen, telling the author Donald Bain that he wanted to track down Jensen and kill him for what his wife had claimed he had done to her. But until then, Nabel tried to help his wife to unravel herself from this shadow personality, Arlene. In the cassette tapes, we even hear Nabel sometimes posing as Dr. Jensen to try and question Arlene further. But interestingly, Arlene would often notice this tactic and would not fall for it. You see, Arlene really liked Dr. Jensen, whereas Candy despised him. And so, under hypnosis, Nabel tried another tactic. He would entrance his wife Candy, and then he would take on the persona of Arlene. So that effectively, Candy was having actual conversations with her own shadow side. This was a method that seemed to bring a lot of details of her work to light. But clearly, this was a potentially reckless way to explore a fragile person's mind. From Bain's book, it seems like Nabel was trying to help his wife and bring her controllers to account. And yet he never really saw that happen. Bain's book was published in 1976, as I mentioned, and not long after that, Nabel died of cancer. He still hadn't found the answers to his wife's secret life. Some have even suggested the theory that Nabel actively placed these false memories into Candy's head during the hypnosis sessions. Though one wonders to what end. Could it be rather that when Candy Jones fell under regression, she was actually just mimicking the cruel and cold personality of her abusive mother? Despite these many questions, at the heart of it is a fascinating yet deeply troubled woman. Candy took over Nabel's radio show and presented it until 1989. And since then, there have been articles and a few occasional television segments about her. And it's frustrating in many ways to read the 
the, the coverage of her life. She's often described under the headings of things like the sexy spy or the pinup who worked for the CIA. People seem quite happy to file Candy away as just a beautiful starlet who may have been a sleeper agent. I think that's a bit dismissive of who she was. A woman from a terribly dysfunctional background who managed to build a successful career, who was able to become financially independent for her three sons after her first husband left her in terrible debt. And she was a fiercely patriotic, servant-hearted woman who not only traveled the world to encourage the troops of World War II, but, if the tapes are to be believed, offered herself for more covert operations for her country in later years, services that would scar her beyond recognition psychologically. There's an irony, I think, in that image of Candy being reduced a little more than a pinup girl for lusting soldiers, an object to be used by the military, and then later to be used again as an expendable asset by supposedly more qualified and intelligent men from higher ranks. After her husband, Nabel, died, she started to take over his radio show, and she did that up until 1989. But in 1980, a few years before she finished the radio show, she was in a shocking accident. She suffered a serious injury. It was the 10th of July, 1980, when she was in her apartment building at 225 East 36th Street in the Murray Hill section of New York. A gas explosion ripped through the building and Candy suffered a broken neck. She sued the landlord for 20 million and consolidated Edison for 80 million. I was not able to discover whether Candy won the suit or not. But then, on the 18th of January 1990, Candy Jones died of cancer at Lenox Hill Hospital in New York. She was only 64. We can't know exactly what happened to Candy Jones in the years 1960 to 1971. But one person seems absolutely convinced of what happened, and they believe it to be true. Arlene, Candy Jones's imaginary friend, who was forcibly brought back from those dark rooms of her psyche. A figure who seems so intertwined with Candy, even from back at birth. You see, if you look at Candy's birth certificate, from way back in 1925, you'll see that her birth name was not just Jessica Wilcox of Atlantic City. No, Candy Jones's birth name was Jessica Arlene Wilcox. For many of us, our middle names are quite trivial, or simply something we write down occasionally on government forms. But for Jessica Arlene Wilcox, her middle name would become an imaginary friend that she desperately needed, but a friend who would not go away, who grew with her and turned cold and would walk alongside her even when she changed her name to Candy Jones. Arlene would still be there and she would take Candy to places she may never have wished to go. Thank you for listening to Our Curious Past. Just a reminder, if you want to listen to my other show, it's called Frightful for Scary True Stories, then do check that out. And if you would like to support the show, it does make a difference. 
then you can join the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Peter Laws. Patrons get access to a whole bunch of extras and behind-the-scenes items and also physical items like uh, Our Curious Past mugs and Frightful coasters and all sorts of things. So if you would like to check that out, go to patreon.com forward slash Peter Laws. It really does make a difference. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. I'm Peter Laws, and this was the strange case of Candy Jones on Our Curious Past. Taking charge of your future starts with taking the first steps. And saving up to $30 a month on Cox Internet with the Affordable Connectivity Program makes those steps easy to take. Whether they bring you to click upload on your first short film or join now for an online book club. Applying is easy. See if you qualify at cox.com slash ACP. Non-transferable one per household application and eligibility decisions are made by the FCC. Did you know using your browser in incognito mode doesn't actually protect your privacy? Take back your privacy with IPVanish VPN. Just one tap and all your data, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be instantly protected. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. Use IPVanish on all your devices, anytime you go online at home and especially on public Wi-Fi. Get IPVanish now for 70% off a yearly plan with this exclusive offer at IPVanish.com audio.